Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Cain's problem is a sin problem. He's a prideful man. In fact, rabbinic scholars, Jewish scholars used to say that Cain was a picture of a man who didn't really think about consequences. He was a more a material man. He didn't think about spiritual things. And God says, look, if you turn things around, there's a solution. Your face will change. Do you know that it's quite possible, just from this text, that a lot of people that walk around with a sour face, sometimes we call it a sourpuss, it may be because they're in habits of sin. Some people's faces are just frozen in a frown. And you're like, could, could you smile? <laughs> Hello? It's not all that bad, is it? I don't know. Maybe we're getting a little bit more insight about how life works. How the face begins to reflect the life and what people go through. I'm not saying that you can't have sadness on your face, but I'm saying if that becomes the permanent situation and God says, look, if you want to change things, if you do well, if you improve, your face will change. How about that? Now today, we can't say that. Now today in college campuses, we were having a discussion at the men's breakfast yesterday, Joe Kelly talking to us about apologetics and stuff like that. And my son was asked the question, is this true of your generation that we've become soft and all that? And he said, yeah. In fact, I just read an article that on college campuses, they now have safe rooms. If something happens in the school, a debate of ideas, and you become uncomfortable, you can go to your safe place. It's a padded room where you won't hurt yourself. I'm not joking, folks. I don't know if it's padded. But... (laughs) But these rooms exist. And it's if you're uncomfortable with, with people being, you know, having different ideas and that, the argument just goes in a direction that makes you uncomfortable, go to your safe place. We're a bunch of sissies, man. We have become soft. We are catering to this stuff. I, 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 I just look at it and I'm, I don't even know how to respond to it. But only to say, I look at my Bible and God says to Cain, if you want to change your life, do better. Hello? That seems pretty like common sense. You want to get better grades? Study more. You want to lose weight? Don't eat as many cupcakes. But I saw that late night thing that makes you get the six pack with it. No. It doesn't work. You want to get stronger? Work out. You want to be more spiritual? Read your Bible. You don't want sin to dominate you anymore? Change what you do. Personal responsibility is in the Bible. And God says, if you change things, if you do well, look, this is a real option from real truth. It can really happen. Adam and Eve had a real choice, and so did Cain. He could choose to do better. And God gives him a picture. He says, sin is the issue, and sin is crouching at the door. Now, sin, when it shows up at your door, it, it crouches. It doesn't stand up so you can look through your little peep thing. With it. Sin. Sin. Would you let me in? No. Sin crouches. It doesn't let you look at it through the peephole. It's sneaky. 
Well, you might say, well, is sin some thing out there? I mean, it's pictured as this weird kind of beast crouching thing that's ready to pounce on you. What, what is sin? Is it something that lurks out there? No, no. Sin is in us. The issue is the anger that Cain is dealing with. His pride, that he won't look at himself. The, the lion at the door is in him. He must deal with sin. He must kill it. He must crucify his flesh. It's not something out there. Paul says in Romans 6 and 7, sin is in me. There's nothing good in my flesh. I must crucify my flesh. And sin is pictured as this thing at the door. How many of you remember the old Saturday Night Live uh, episodes with the shark? Was it Chevy Chase? I'm not advocating Saturday Night Live, but this was funny. He was a shark at the, at the time the Jaws movies were coming out, and he would be at the door. No, 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 no. And he would knock, and he would say, Postman. <laughs> Delivery. And the girl always ended up opening the door, and he just ate her. And you're watching the skit, and you're saying, Don't open the door, it's the shark. Sin. Postman. This is what happens. Sin is sneaky. It's at your door, which should be an insight. It means the only way it's going to come in is if you... You can master it. You know how? Don't open the door. Don't open it. Oh, that sounds way too simple. But it's true. If you open the door, it will come in and master you. You must master it. And the good news for Christians is we have the power of the Holy Spirit. But we all know, too many times, the doorbell's rung. And we're not quite convinced, even though we don't see anything through the people. Maybe. And we get in trouble. And Cain does not realize how serious this moment is. God is telling him there's a remedy for what you're about to do. You've got to deal with your unresolved anger. If you don't deal with it, it is going to dominate you and you're going to do something you're going to regret for the rest of your life. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Paul's been talking about putting on the new man. And uh, he sets the table for it in verses 22 through 24 in Ephesians 4. I won't read it for you now, but he's saying Christians got to put on the new self. It's something we've got to do even though we're saved. And then he says these words. He says, Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and yet do not sin. Solution? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. The Jewish day began at, at sunset. The Bible's not saying you've got to resolve everything before the sun goes down, but the Bible's saying before the day's over, you need to deal with stuff. Deal with unresolved anger. Try to remedy it, and maybe most of it has to do with you, not so much somebody else. You've got to deal with your own heart. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's not always about the other person. It's about you. And don't, verse 27, what does it say? Do not give what? The devil an opportunity. You see, this is his playground, you guys. He says later in the chapter, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, verse 30, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, Ephesians 4.31, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. 
This is the issue. Go to 1 John chapter 3. I hope you held a spot there. 1 John chapter 3, all the way towards Revelation. Here's what our Bible tells us. 1 John 3, look at verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another, 1 John 3, 12. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. For what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Look at verse 14. We know, 1 John 3, 14, that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. We love God's people. He who does not love abides in death. Look at 1 John 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Go back to Genesis chapter 4. And we look at Cain and we say, how sad. Until we realize that Jesus said, if you hate somebody without a cause, you are a murderer. And the law goes much deeper than just outward actions. It says, look at you. Let the Bible read you. Where are you at? Have you murdered someone's reputation with gossip? Have you hated somebody without a cause? Can you look at another Christian whom you're supposed to love and have hate in your heart? John tells us, take a look at your heart. These stories are not for you to sit in the stands and say, gee golly, isn't that sad? No, they're, they're intended for us to learn life lessons so that we might not repeat the mistakes that they made. That's why they're there. So that we don't have 30-something shootings since 2012. So that we become a city set upon a hill. So that we have a revival in the church. So that we stop the darkness and the nonsense. That's the power of the Bible. Not always comfortable. Not always convenient. But the truth will set you free. Free. That's what God wants. We've got to look at some things in order to get better. And so God confronts Cain. And Cain, Genesis 4.8, told his brother. The word told is Amar. It could mean that he went looking for his brother. I don't know if this means he had a conversation like God didn't look favorably on my offering but he accepted yours, or if it simply means he went on the lookout for his brother, that seems to make more sense. Cain told, or perhaps he looked for his brother Abel, and it came about that when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Notice in verse 8, brother is there twice for a reason. That's his brother. And he rose up against his brother. There's no guns in this day. He can't be you know, detached from his killing of his brother. In fact, and I know there's modern versions of that he took a shovel or whatever, but we don't know. He may have killed him with his own bare hands. He may have drained the life out of his brother. Why? Where was his hate? Because his hate was taken out on the only one that he could take it out on besides God, but who was he really mad at? God. You know, when persecution happens of Christians, it's it's. Why do you think that guy killed eight Christians, or apparently Christians? Why does it happen all over the world? Because it's hatred for God, and it's against his people. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me, says Jesus to Saul. By the way, Saul tells us there's hope because he killed people, and yet he experienced forgiveness. But here's this sad scene captured in an ancient painting where 
Cain is turned towards the looker in a painting with his eyes like saucers in terror as his brother's lifeless body lays there. And the blood of his brother is crying out and, and Cain is trying to cover his ears so he doesn't have to hear it. All of a sudden, his anger did get the best of him. Sin was crouching at the door. He opened the door, he acted upon it, and now his brother is dead. And the Lord said to Cain, verse 9, Where is Abel your brother? God knows what's going on, but again, the question that he might respond in repentance. And he said, I don't know, and am I my brother's keeper? Whoa. First he lies. He knows where his brother is. He may have buried him at this point, but his blood's still crying out to God. And then he says, am I supposed to keep track of that kid? Am I his keeper? This is a play on words, by the way, in Hebrew. He... Abel was a keeper of the flock, Shamar. He watched over flocks. And Cain says, am I supposed to be a shepherd to that kid? And the answer is yes. You're supposed to protect your brother. He's your little brother. Where is he? I don't know. It's not my job to protect him. Wow, this guy is gone. He's moved so far away from God. And God, now from attorney, interrogator to judge. God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Wow. You know, I don't know how far to push this text, but there's a reference in Job to blood crying, but whether this is just a a picturesque way of saying the victim of a, a crime who's killed in this way, intentionally murdered, cries out to Almighty God, or whether their blood, life is in the blood, literally cries out, I can't say for sure. But I'll tell you this. The Bible's telling us that every time someone's life is taken by the hand of a murderer, their blood cries to God. And I want you to think for a moment of how many abortions have happened in this country. And can you imagine, whatever this all means, what it must sound like in heaven... When the, when the cries of innocent victims go up one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. Now one thing we do know is God knows and he cares. And he says, I know what you've done. Von Rod, an Old Testament commentator, says, according to the Old Testament view, blood and life belong to God alone. Whenever a man commits murder, he attacks God's very own right of possession. To destroy life goes beyond man's proper sphere. Spilled blood cannot be shoveled underground. It cries aloud to heaven and complains directly to the Lord of life. Close quote. Bonhoeffer, hung by the Nazis by a piano wire two weeks before the Allied forces got there to rescue those in concentration camps, said, Why does Cain murder? Asked Bonhoeffer rhetorically. Out of hatred for God, man is made in God's image. Abel was acceptable to God and Cain must get rid of him. But he can't cover his crime. He could put as much dirt on the body as he wants to, but God knows. And he says, now you are cursed from the ground. I warned you. Look at Genesis 4.11, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground in the place that you are called your vocation, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. What you used to be good at, what you used to be successful at, is gone. 
You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer. The word wanderer is transliterated into English as nod, N-A-D. You'll be a wanderer on the earth. You're going to have now a tragic life. Perhaps your life will be worse than death. You're going to wander around. You're going to leave everything you know, mom and dad, your profession, and you'll just wander around. That's your punishment. And Cain said to the Lord, I really feel bad about killing my brother. Can we sit down and talk about this? No. Cain says, my punishment is too great to bear. No repentance, no remorse, no concern about what he did for it to Abel, no concern about what this means to his mom and dad, nothing. My punishment, it's more than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me this day, 14, from the face of the ground. From thy face I shall be hidden. I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. You have marked me for death, and now you're going to cause me to wander around and wait for it. That's Cain's reaction to God's sentence. You might ask the question, who would kill him? Who's around? Well, the Bible is giving us highlights. There, it may well be that many other children have been born since Cain and Abel. Or it may be that he's thinking of future generations. He's going to live an unusually long life. And he's, he may be thinking of a generation that will be born. They will hear this story and they will seek to avenge the blood of Abel. And it will be a family member that does that. And isn't it ironic? A family member might be the one that avenges the blood of a family member killing another family member. Wow. Whichever it is, you know, some people say, where did Cain get his wife? Well, Cain's wife came from Adam and Eve. Yes, siblings did marry early on. That's the way it had to be. There were only two humans. And in the law later is, is told you cannot have relationships that way, but early on in the Bible, that's how it happened. That's how the generations expanded upon the earth. And when God tells Cain his judgment, Cain falls to pieces. No compassion, only self-pity, only fear for his own future. So the Lord said to him, 15, we're almost done. Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. I'm going to make you a promise. There's going to be grace in the midst of your consequences. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone finding him should slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, 16, and settled, keyword, in the land of Nod. A play on words, the word... Wanderer is Nod, and he, and he settles in the land of Nod. He settles in the land of wandering. I, I just want to ask you a question. Have you settled? Have you wandered away from the Lord? I wonder how many people today have had an experience with God, and they are now in the land of wandering, and they've settled there. That's where you are. Those are that's the way of Cain. Settling. Self-focused. But God puts a mark on him, and we'll end with this as we prepare our hearts for communion. Whoever kills Cain, God marks him. Vengeance will be taken on him. And the Lord, 15, appointed a sign. If you want to just quickly translate that into English, the word sign is O-T, or it's O-W-T-H. It's O-T. Now, here's what is just remarkable about this. There's all kinds of conjecture about what was the sign? Was it something physical on Cain? Was it some sort of warning that went out? Was it a mark that he had? Well, the word for sign is oat. And get this. Um, this is in the old script. We don't know for sure what the sign was, but sign oat in the old Hebrew picture language, the first thing that Moses would have written, 
means the strong established sign, or get this, the beginning and the end. It's the Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew uh, alphabet, picture of an ox head, strong leader. It's a Vav for the word and. It's the picture of a nail. So you got the leader, a nail. And the last letter is a Tav, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet in the ancient script. It looks like a cross. And the mark that may have marked Cain was the sign that the leader would be nailed to the cross. In fact, in Ezekiel 9.4, many ancient exegetes along with Genesis 4 believe that the sign that marked Cain may have been just that. Could it be that Cain went around with a cross on his forehead? I don't know for sure. But it would be just like God to say that even in the midst of this tragedy, there is a coming Redeemer who will shed his blood for all the innocent blood that we have shed. Who will say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And his blood will be shed for the sins of Cain and others. And the question, it must ring in our souls. Did Cain repent? The answer is, I don't know. But the New Testament writers don't speak kindly of Cain. And it sounds like maybe he did not. Now what I'd like you to do is turn to Hebrews 12. And uh, I'm going to ask if the ushers can hear my voice. We're going to start to pass communion elements. So prepare your hearts for that. I want to tell you that if you're a Christian, you are invited to the Lord's table. But it's always good to do some business with the Lord before you take the Lord's Supper. To do some heart examination. That's a really important thing. And if you're not a believer, then there's no reason for you to take this, these communion elements. But if you're not a believer and you want to become one, may I encourage you to run to the foot of the cross and get saved? Jesus died for all of the junk. Think about, and I, I know it's not the most pleasant thought, think about all the sin that's represented in this room. <laughs> I just think about myself and all I've been forgiven of, and I've, I've been forgiven of a lot. Things that I've done, things that I've thought, things that I've failed to do, my motivations... All of that he dealt with at the cross. That's why we come to this table, to remember his righteous blood shed for us. But if you don't know him, you're going to face God without that cleansing, without that covering. So get to know him. You say, well, how do you do it, Pastor Mike? You just, you just receive him. You just say, Lord, I'm sorry. You do what Cain failed to do. You take ownership. You say, I've sinned against you. But I believe you died on that cross for me and I believe you rose from the dead and I'm going to trust what you did because you so loved me that you gave your son. And I'm going to believe on him for my salvation and trust in him. And the Bible says salvation is a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. You must receive it by faith. So would you bow your heart with me? Father, for those who don't know you, those who may need to come back to the way of Christ and away from the way of Cain, you bless them with a knowledge that you're a God of mercy a God of grace. You demonstrated that love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you don't know Jesus with your heart and head bowed, just cry out to him. Something like this, and I would encourage you, pray it out loud. Jesus, save me. Pray it right now if it's you. Jesus, save me. I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it, and I turn to you through your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead and I ask, Lord, that you would save me. Change me from the inside out. 
forgive me and make me your child. Lord, for those who are crying out to you, for believers who may be crying out, for anybody who's doing any business with you this morning, may you bless them with the assurance of your grace, your mercy, your love, your loving kindness, which is better than life. And as we come to your table, may we never forget what you've done for us. May we remember the cross of Christ, the way he took for us to deal with our sins. And may we have personal revival, spiritual revival in the church, and may our country, this United States of America, return to you, O Lord. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When you look at uh, the, the picture here of sin crouching at the door, it reminded me that that means if it's at the door, the only way it's going to get in is if I open the door, mm. right? So so it's really the handle of the door. We've often said, you know, don't mess with the occult. The handle of the door is mm-hmm. on your side. Well, when it comes to sin as well, if you decide to sin, uh, it's because you open the door to it. It's knocking. You know, sin wants to come in all the time. Let's face it, our flesh is tempted with a whole host of things. But don't open the door. But someone might say, man, that sounds great, but man, I've been opening more than I've been ignoring, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I, uh, I have a tough time, someone might say, of not you know, giving into the same old temptation again and again and again. You hit on something that, you know, maybe Cain already, there's a lot of conjecture about what was wrong with Cain's offering, but it wasn't by faith, we know that. And if it was a... Um, kind of a thread of disobedience that was already in him like I'll do I got this I'll do it my way Mm -hmm. you could see how that leads into trouble and there's a lot of people that end up falling because they think that well they they don't really need to do it God's way over here and maybe their their worship will look like this and they they do the Frank Sinatra thing I, I did it my way and all of a sudden now there's a disaster that happens and this is not something to be taken lightly now you get a warning and I mentioned this to you before we began to record the segment that um, don't you find oftentimes, and I, I'm not sure that this is true across the board, but if we're contemplating doing something dumb, God will find a way to warn us, either through our conscience or sometimes we'll hear something on the radio or there'll be a word of warning and maybe even a specific word from a pastor on a radio program, you know, and the Holy Spirit will just say, don't do what you're thinking of doing right now. And I think that's what God did for Cain. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit will also use a friend. Hey, I've been thinking about you. Right. Or I've been praying for you and all these things. And the you know the, the thing that intrigues me in verse 6 is God said to Cain, why are you angry? It's like, what problems do you have? And, you know, you don't want to do it my way. Being like an obstinate child, you think you can do it your way, but that's not the way it's going to be. And someone out there might say, well, he was angry because, you know, God did not really regard his sacrifice. But I think we can find from First John and, and other places where there's New Testament commentary on this section that there was something wrong with what Cain was doing. He was really not a man of faith. And so that was the issue. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.